The following program is pre-recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor to talk with you about what's new in healthy living, share some down-to-earth advice, and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Checking social media. What does that do to a young kid, an adolescent's brain development? Some interesting research. I know, Tom, you check your social media all the time, right? All the time. All the time. Your social media is Monica. That's what you say. You got it. And that's your social and Zor- media. And Zorba. And me. There we go. There we go. And then scientists maybe have found the key reason why a loss of smell occurs with COVID-19. So that's... That's very important. And what's our special recipe? It's great. I know bok choy is your favorite thing to eat, right? Bok choy. That's why they call you bok choy Tom, right? Bok choy. Bok choy. All all the time. All the time. Bok choy mushroom stir fry. If you like bok choy as I do, this is a recipe you will want to listen to. Okay. Let's get to the phones now at 1-800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. 462-7413. Our first caller joins us now from Spokane, Washington. Hi. Hi. Hello. How can um, we help? I have a question about white matter disease. Mm-hmm. Um, She's talking about uh, brain. You're the, talking about brain disease? Yes, mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I just wondered if the uh, medical profession sees it um, simply is like a natural occurrence. Uh-huh. So what are, or, what are so what are you concerned about? Uh, I mean, we have brain disease and we have dementia, we have memory loss, but I'm a little bit confused. Uh-huh. What do you mean by white matter disease? What reading have you done about this? Okay, well, actually, um, how about my own MRI uh-huh. and <laughs> CT scan? Mm-hmm. Um, I was having neurologic issues uh-huh. a, about two years ago. Sure. What kind of issues? They seem like either Parkinson's or a stroke. I was tripping. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. had tremors on one side of my body. Wow. I had difficulty um, articulating and uh, word finding and um, running into things, so balance. Serious. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I asked to be evaluated for Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And um, in the course of things, they. They did testing, and in the white matter, they said, well, you have had a couple of small strokes, which I did not know about, and also that um, I had white matter disease. And so that's why, you know, I was interested. And basically, it just went fallow. Then it was like nothing. So how are you doing now? Now I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I, I felt like, well, okay, I guess I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. And I just really tried um, a lot of physical activity. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty healthy anyway for my age. I'm 68. Uh-huh. And um, I still have residua from that. But um, I just kind of deal with it. And that's why, you know, that. And it prompts the question, is it, does the medical community just go, well, okay, you're on your own? And Well, there, uh, there, there are a couple of things that, that are involved here. You bring up some, some, uh, some good points. So first of all, let's look at scans itself. So we have an MRI scan. As we get older, they change. Our brain shrinks, our white matter shrinks, gray matter, our brain is different. One of the reasons that people have something called subdural hematomas when they're older and they fall is our brain just becomes smaller. Smaller doesn't necessarily mean there's any significant change. It's just in terms of mentation and other things. It's just something that develops. So when they looked at your MRI scan, they saw that the white matter had shrunk a bit, whatever, whatever that means. And the reason that I say whatever that means is we don't really understand what that means. We have to look clinically what's going on. So they saw small strokes. That means 
It's important to keep your blood pressure under control, your cholesterol under control, eat a Mediterranean diet, don't overdo, don't smoke, don't overdo drinking. All the things we do for cardiovascular disease are probably going to reduce the risk of having more strokes if you have them. And the strokes may have been the issue to cause it because MRI scans still are imperfect. They don't tell you exactly what's going on in the brain because, frankly, we don't know exactly what's going on in the brain. We have no idea where thinking is. We have no idea where a lot of things go on in the brain. So it's not as if the medical community says you're on your own. It's that the medical community has no idea what to do when it comes to brain dysfunction. But you did the right thing. You said, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to overcome it. So you made new synapses in your brain to overcome what was going on in your brain where the synapses weren't working properly. So you did exactly the right thing to do. The issue is we have no idea what the prognosis is, but we know that if you pay attention to what you would do to make your heart well, not get a, you know, not get a stroke, not get a heart attack, the chances are you're going to do better. And that's about as good as it gets. And that's true, and they did. Actually, I, I neglected to mention that. Mm-hmm. They did put me on a statin right. and right. blood pressure. Right. And they said, yes, you have familial right. uh, tendency because right. yeah, both parents had strokes and heart attacks. You see, so that's so. exactly it. You can't change your genes, right, but you can alter what's going on. So they did exactly the right thing. And then your important thing to do is Mediterranean diet, you know, eat well, exercise every day, positive mental attitude, you're doing all the right stuff. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, thank you so much. That was very interesting. So I appreciate it. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. We appreciate that call at 800-462-7413. You know, sometimes people need, uh, I think all of us need, some reassurance that we know that we're going on the right path. And Mm -hmm. the issue is, if you're going to buy a TV set or a car or a stereo or something, you can go onto the internet and you can look at a bunch of things and you can see how many people like that particular record player. I just got a little record player in the house to play my vinyl. But when it comes to medical care, it's so much more complex. And I think that's really the service that we do on the air all the time is people can then call us and say, talk, come in and talk to you, of course. I mean, you're the expert. And, and say, you know, what's going on? And when I say you're the expert, I said, what you do is you then ask the questions that they may also be asking. And that interaction that you have is really an important part because we've been on the area for nearly a century. I mean, it may, it seems like it's been 100 years. 800-462-7413 is our number. Before our next call, Zorba, a study shows that habitual checking of social media may impact Young Adolescents' Brain Development. Well, it's kind of an interesting study, and I'm going to give you my thought about this. So Mm -hmm. this is in JAMA Pediatrics. We worry about social media. I think it's an important study. It showed, it looked at 170 kids from middle school in North Carolina in rural areas, okay? So let's look at our population. Middle school kids, of course. It's only in a rural area in North Carolina. So we can't necessarily say that a rural area in North Carolina is going to correspond to New York City. Okay, Over a three-year period, they looked at kids – and some kids check their social media more than – you know, once a day and some kids checked it 20 times a day, right? Mm -hmm. So – Parents, you know, you know, parents are involved with it because parents allow children to check social media if they have a cell phone. I mean, if they don't have a cell phone, they're in the house. And what they discovered was that the more kids check social media, the more compulsive their social activity was. And literally, literally about 80 percent of the kids, 13 to 17, check their mobile devices hourly. I mean, that's a, that is a large number. So is this is this a problem for you know, concern. So I want to think about something with social media when I was a child. So when I was a child, we didn't have a computer in the house. I mean, who would have a computer in the house? And in fact, what would my parents say when I was on the telephone? You know what they would say? 
Get off the phone. <laughs> You're on the phone too much. So I lived in Chicago right on the edge of the suburb, the suburb called Lincolnwood. I would leave the house, go two blocks away where there was a phone booth two blocks away, and I would put a dime in, and I would spend time on my social media and call my friends. And I would do that for hours at a time. My parents would say, what are you doing? I think I probably told them I was taking a walk. I wasn't taking a walk. I was taking a walk like two blocks away mm. so I could check social media with my friends. So the issue is teenagers compulsively check their social media. Now, if they have cell phone access, they're going to do it more often. Of course, let's not talk about social bullying. That's a different thing. But parents also have the ability to take away overly compulsive social media. Mm -hmm. They can parent. They can talk to their children. They can say, your phone has to be off from 5 o'clock in the evening to 7 o'clock in the evening when we're having dinner. In other words, parents can actually interfere with a child's compulsive use of social media and begin a parent. And I think this particular study shows that's part of it. Um, and when my when our kids were growing up, we didn't have social media. We didn't have a fax well, machine Well, did you the use the phone all the time while you were growing up? Yeah, I did. Well, I did use the phone. Sure, I wanted to talk to my friends all the time on the telephone. I hardly and my, ever used. And the my phone. parents. I guess would yell I didn't have any friends. <laughs> you know what? We'll leave it at that. Okay. Eight hundred four six two seven four one three is you our number. You don't check social media now. You know. I mean, you know, you got to, you don't check those. I mean, when was the last time you checked your cell phone to see who texted you? No, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been days or months. Moving right along. <laughs> Monica does enough social media for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, we have a voicemail from Buffalo, New York. Hi, Zorba. My wife, who is just coming down with a sickness today, nothing too serious. It's just a head cold with some sore throat and nausea. But in general, when you feel like you're getting sick, what is the remedy to shock and awe the sickness or your body to feel better? I've always wondered. I usually stick to vitamin C supplements and things like that. Just wonder what your opinion is. Thank you. Oh, I think vitamin C supplements are great. 500 milligrams, four times a day may starve it off. But but the reality is you haven't looked at the most important thing to starve off a cold, and I call it Jewish penicillin. That's chicken soup made, <laughs> made in New York delicatessens or by your mom. I love, I love the fact it's exactly right. Now, let me tell you about the benefits of chicken soup. Now, there was an article in JAMA about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that looked at chicken soup and looked at the vapor of chicken soup. And the vapor, and you can use, by the way, you can use non-chicken soup if you're a vegetarian. It could be vegan soup. But it's actually that warm soup that actually opens up the sinuses that can make a difference. So chicken soup, vitamin C, lots of fluid, very important because we don't want to drink as much as we usually do. Turn on your vaporizer in your bedroom. If you don't have a vaporizer, go out or or online and get a cold, get a cold moist vaporizer, which are ultrasonic vaporizers. You've got to moisturize the air because they really make a difference because we dry out. And those are basically the things that you do. You want to push up your immune response by doing that. Now, there is a role for uh, for Tylenol and ibuprofen to reduce fever if it bothers you, but basically fever is our natural way of sort of getting rid of a, uh, you know, getting rid of a cold and a sore throat. So you're right with the vitamin C, but once again, Jewish penicillin, hmm. chicken soup, hmm. maybe with some noodles in it, little vegetables in it. It'll make you feel good. Yeah. From your mom. From your mom. And if she's out of town, have her ship it in on FedEx. <laughs> 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. But before we uh, take a break now, Zorba, let's check in with your favorite hand raisers, the Grammar Police. Oh, my goodness. They're at it again. They're at it again. And Actually, English is my first language. I mean, Yiddish. I don't know Yiddish, so it's got to be English. So. Well, actually, Zora, we're going to hear 
from what is arguably the most meticulous faction within the grammar police, <laughs> the pronunciation police. Yes. Remember yes. them? Yes, yes. Garbanzos, garbanzos, garbanzos. <laughs> Dear Dr. Zorba, you recently shared a recipe with barley, cumin, turmeric, etc. You were laughing with Tom about the pronunciation of cumin. I think you did okay on that one, but when it came to turmeric, which you stated you knew how to pronounce, you dropped the pronunciation ball. Turmeric has two R's and is pronounced turmeric, not turmeric. <laughs> Help get the word out on the proper pronunciation police. You know, I have been mispronouncing that for years. For years. And you want to know why? I think it's due to my dyslexia. I just didn't see the other R. I mean, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. Maybe that's what it is. But, you know, maybe maybe because my mother pronounced it turmeric. Actually, my mother never pronounced it turmeric because she never used it. So from this point on, for the rest of my life, I hereby solemnly promise the grammar police that I will not say turmeric, but I will say tr- 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 uh, Turmeric. Turmeric. <laughs> I hereby solemnly promise I will not say turmeric, but I will say turmeric. <laughs> really? Turmeric. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get it. Wrong. What is it? You got it. Look at that. No, keep going. You got this, <laughs> Turmeric. I hereby solemnly vow that I will no longer say turmeric. I will say turmeric for the rest of my life. So help me God. Well, I say I say turmeric, but I've never had. Turmeric. You know, it's like tomato, tomato, turmeric, 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 to whatever. Anyway, did Zorba mispronounce something on the program, or did I? You bet the pronunciation police will be cumin for him. <laughs> Just post on our Facebook page, or you can always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. We, and I pronounced org correctly. We have more of your calls coming up. Zorba will answer more of your emails, and we'll be cooking up a tasty mushroom stir-fry. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from P. R X. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. A question for Zorba, 800-462-7413. But before our next call, Zorba, bok choy mushroom stir-fry. Now, Tom, have you ever had bok choy? Bok if I know. (laughs) Well, bok choy is a Chinese vegetable, and you may have had it when you've had Chinese food and not not know it. And Monica. And it really is very, very good. It's really good in stir fry. It has kind of, I don't think I would say bitter. It almost has a Swiss chard. Swiss chard type taste, but it's crunchier and it's easy, it's inexpensive. And if you've never used bok choy, like time, you ought to try using it. And this is a bok choy mushroom stir fry. And I know you like mushrooms. Mushrooms are something you like. Not right? so much. No. Oh gosh, you don't like mushrooms? Not so much. So what do you like about this recipe? It's a bok choy mushroom stir fry. Well, did I say I like anything <laughs> about this recipe? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, okay. for those of you who like a veggie recipe, let's start on two tablespoons 
spoonfuls of unsalted butter. To Big T Unsalted Butter. Now, I know, Tom, in your refrigerator, you keep salted butter and unsalted butter for when you're cooking, right? <laughs> I hardly ever open the, <laughs> the refrigerator, the refrigerator door. Monica handles That's all right. of that. She, and, and she does a great job. She does. She does a great Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Um, eight ounces of mushrooms, whatever mushrooms you can get. A variety of mushrooms would be great. Eight ounces, a variety of mushrooms. Two tablespoonfuls of soy sauce. Two big tea soy sauce. Teaspoon of chili paste. A little tea chili paste. Three garlic cloves peeled and minced. Three garlic cloves peeled and minced. A teaspoon of finely grated ginger. Little tea, finely grated ginger. Four green onions, ends trimmed thinly, sliced and divided. Four green onions... Trimmed and thinly sliced, divided. You did that very well. I just want to tell you that. I really did that well. Four bundles of baby bok choy. Baby bok choy is more tender uh, and is not as bitter as big bok choy. Adult, Adult bok choy. You want baby bok choy. You don't want adult bok choy. Four bundles of baby bok choy. A teaspoon of sesame oil. Teaspoon of sesame oil. Some kosher salt. Kosher salt. Some sesame seeds. Some sesame seeds. And some steamed rice, maybe some brown rice for serving. Steamed rice for serving. So let's make it. Okay. So in a medium skillet, over medium heat, add the butter. When it's melted and stops bubbling, add the mushrooms. Cook for like three to five minutes until they're there. Then pour in the soy sauce, the chili paste, garlic cloves, grated ginger, and half the green onions. Stir for a minute or so. Then add the bok choy. Mix it together to the bok choy tones a brighter green about five minutes. Add the sesame oil, give it a taste, check the salt, maybe a little more soy sauce, silver it over rice, garnish with sesame seeds and some green onions on top. And you really have a a, a very simple veggie dish. Uh, The real issue is you want to get everything set up before. You want to make sure the garlic is done, the ginger is grated. uh, And I've got little bowls that I use, little Mm. glass bowls to put all this in when I put it together. And when I do this, I usually sort of turn on some music. And I I love cooking in the kitchen because basically it gives me time to sort of meditate. I find it very relaxing. Oh. That's I mean, that's mm. why I cook. I don't find it challenging. Oh. This is a really good bok choy mushroom stir and fry. If you're looking for some variety for a good vegetarian recipe, good vegan recipe, this is one to use. And, yeah. and you know, we don't send these out in the mail anymore, but they can come, I, I think it's to the internet. Is that right, the internet? <laughs> Go to ZorbaPastor.org. That's ZorbaPastor.org. You can get this, other recipes, see photos of Tom, photos of me, and make comments. And, of course, you can find us through Facebook. Yeah, if I had some of this, could I put some chicken in? or some you, Actually, you know meat? what? You could put some chicken in. If you had rotisserie chicken... Yeah. You could actually make this dish and then put some rotisserie chicken that you got from the grocery store in with this. And that would also be a good one-dish recipe. The answer is, the answer is yes. But not if you're a vegetarian, Tom. That's <laughs> <laughs> 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, a listener joins us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi, Dr. Zorba. How are you doing? Good. How are you? How can we help you? Well, I have been dealing with uh, acid reflux for the first time in my life, Mm -hmm. Um, in my early 30s, male. And I've tried, I'm, well, I'm in the process of sort of trying everything except, you know, an elimination diet. I'm taking Tums, which I don't know if those are a long-term solution. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh trying uh, apple cider vinegar before meals and trying to cut back on uh, carbonated beverages of all sorts. Uh, So I'm wondering if you have some hot tips uh, that might be, you know, not involved going to get a new prescription from the pharmacist for acid reflux. So let's talk a little bit about acid reflux and uh, back in the day when I was a kid. When I first started medical school, and that was a long time ago, let me tell you, almost 50 years ago, what did we have? We had Tums, we had Rolades, we had Maalox, we had antacids. We had a belief that acid reflux was basically caused by stress. We had no concept of really what it was caused by. It was often caused or talked about as ulcers. Some of them were ulcers, but most of them were not. And we didn't really 
really have anything great to deal with it. And some people just had it continuously throughout their life. Then a beta blocker got invented. And the person who invented this concept of a beta blocker, which is not quite an acid reflux, H2 blockers yet, got the Nobel Prize because that person, that went on to develop H2 blockers that basically took rid of the pain and discomfort of acid reflux and ulcers. And that person got the Nobel Prize. And when they got the Nobel Prize, they were cited to do more for humanity in the reduction of pain than anyone known to humans. Because before that, all we had for severe acid reflux were Tums, Rolaids, and opioids. And opioids do nothing at all for acid reflux. Then we had aspirin. Of course, aspirin makes acid reflux work. Then we had Tylenol. So the answer to acid reflux, first of all, Tums and Rolaids are great. Are they a long-term solution? For many people, they are. Apple cider vinegar, plus minus for some people that works. But for most people, they need to cut down on the acid in the stomach. And there are two different types of medication over-the-counter. You have H2 blockers, and then you have things called PPIs. H2 blockers are milder, they're gentler, and what they do is they don't have the side effects of PPIs. PPIs are thought to interfere possibly with magnesium and some other things that are absorbed into the body. So my recommendation is over-the-counter famotidine, which is now also Zantac. Zantac is now famotidine. And I would take that if you're bothered with acid reflux, if the other stuff isn't working. Have you tried that? You don't need a prescription for it. No, and what is it? What is it called? Uh, it's exactly? called. You can you go and you get over the counter. It's called famotidine, but it's under the brand name of Zantac or Pepsid, and take it. And either you take one to a one tablet, and if one tablet doesn't work, double it, because the over counter medication is half the size of the prescription medication. And what I would do with acid reflux is I would initially take it twice a day, take one Zantac twice a day, 150 or 300 milligrams twice a day, and if that works after two weeks, go down to one uh, instead of twice a day, one once a day in the morning. And if that works, stick on one tablet a day and that will do it. These drugs are dynamite for acid reflux and they're well tolerated. They've been around for like 40 years. We know they have minimal side effects and they're going to take care of your problem. Okay. Is that the type of thing that uh, might help? things such as like mucus buildup as well. I'm a singer, Dr. Zorba, and I'm about to go to Europe for a bit. Oh. I'm also wondering how those oh, then I, things I'm gonna, I am going to I am going to give you a different prescription then. If you're a Perfect. singer and you want to get rid of the mucus and the coughing of that, what I want you to do instead is get over-the-counter Prilosec. They come in 20 milligram tablets, and I want you to take 40 milligrams in the morning, okay? 40 milligrams in the morning on an empty stomach. And then if you're still bothered with acid reflux, you then take famotidine 40 milligrams at bedtime. But don't take that famotidine initially. But then you need something stronger to get rid of the mucus. And that means Prilosec, 300 milligrams in the morning. That's what I would do. Because otherwise you're going to continue to have mucus. And you don't need that if you're a singer going to Europe. Will that kill two birds with one stone then, the acid reflux? Absolutely. We'll take care. It'll take care of the acid reflux and the mucus that's associated with the acid reflux. But it works best on an empty stomach 20 to 30 minutes before you have any food. So what I tell people is you get up, you go to the bathroom. Before you brush your teeth, you put the pills in your mouth. By the time you brush your teeth, you get dressed and you have your coffee. That will take care of it. So I have a question for you. How long are you going to Europe for? I'm going for about a month. Mm -hmm. And what kind of stuff do you sing? Tell me about your singing. Well, I'm a folk rock singer-songwriter. I actually published a song about Wisconsin with Bob Dylan. I talked about it all over WPR last year. Oh, wow. Wow. um, I'm excited, but I'm trying to figure out this... uh, this acid Absolutely. Let me, let me let me tell you something. The PPIs, Prilosec, will do the job. And the next time you call, you've got to sing something for us on the air. I was going to say we could do some. We could do. That I mean, now. can you do something I mean, a cappello now? A I couple mean, of minutes. I mean, just you know, just like a like a phrase or something like that. 
I mean, Dr. Zorba, I feel like you need a, like, sort of a theme song, and I feel like I'm going to need to think on that. All right. Okay. All right, man. You think about it. You call us back when you come back from yours and sing us a song. I mean, come on. I gave you some advice to help your singing. You got to give us some advice to sort of help us kind of enjoy our day a little more with little mucus. A little That's mucus. <laughs> a little mucus. <laughs> Show you where my brain is at. Love your work. A music. Love your work. Thank you very much. We, Thanks. You have a we, good time in Europe. We appreciate we appreciate that call at one eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Now Zorba, a voicemail from Rackville, Utah. My question is about sugar alcohols. I'm familiar with artificial sweeteners, but I'm curious about what his take of the health benefits or detractions of sugar alcohols. Thank you. You know, I've got to tell you something. I see that uh, when I read labels and it says sugar alcohol, and I think to myself, what is this? What is sugar alcohol? So I looked it up. Sugar alcohols are things that occur naturally in foods, but they occur in larger amounts when artificial sweeteners or sugars are used as what we call bulking agents in the processing of foods. So for some reason, the FDA says they should put sugar alcohols on the label, but I, to my understanding, have never understood why they do that because they don't understand how this actually affects food. Now, sugar alcohols obviously produce calories because all alcohol produce calories. But why this is put on food, I'm not exactly sure. And maybe one of our listeners, maybe one of our listeners who understands this can chime in and explain why this is listed on those labels. Hmm. 1-800-462-7413 is our number. 800-462-7413. Now before the break, Zorba, it's time for the segment where an honest to Pete doctor that be you, <laughs> takes on the mighty internet. We call it Google Doc. The following email came from Matt, who listens to our show on KPBX in Spokane, Washington. Hello, Dr. Zorba. I'm a 50-year-old male and recently received the blood work results from my routine annual physical. And while most of the numbers fell within the standard range, one test that fell outside them was anion gap without potassium. My result was a 6, while the standard value is 7 to 15. I checked the results from the previous year's tests, and they were low. My doctor is not concerned, but everything online indicates this could be signs of something serious. Any wisdom you could share about this complicated mm -hmm. and hard-to-pronounce mm -hmm. test and what the <laughs> results mean could be greatly appreciated. Complicated, hard to pronounce, anion. You know, you got to be a scientist. If you're a scientist, you look at anion and you know how to pronounce it. It has no meaning at all. The answer is this is a good example where the internet basically serves no purpose. Now, anion gap does actually have meaning if you're in something called diabetic ketoacidosis. If you're in the hospital and you're really seriously ill, it has meaning. It also has meaning if there's certain medications and you're on a, there's a big anion gap, it means that you may have something called lactic acidosis. Lactic acidosis can occur in a variety of metabolic conditions. But when you, it's very interesting. When you have 20 tests which you have in a metabolic panel, statistically one of those tests is going to be, because we use something called a 5% range, it's a statistical number. If you have 20 tests, one of them is going to be slightly off even though you're completely normal. So the anion gap is just commonly one of the things. The chloride is commonly one of the things. The fact is your doctor is right. There's nothing serious there. Stop reading. <laughs> have, a, have a healthy living question for Zorba just post on our Facebook page or send us an email app and start listening to public radio more Zorba at WPR.org 
We have more of your calls coming up. We have another topic to discuss, and Zorba will be answering more of your emails. All coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Our number is 800 462 7413 if you have a question for Zorba. But Zorba, before our next call, scientists find a key reason why loss of smell occurs in long COVID-19. Right. So this really is a big issue. So we know that many people get COVID, have a loss of a sense of smell. Uh, And for most people, it only lasts for like two to four weeks or so on. But for a number of people, it lasts longer. I had a patient of mine who was uh, in security at the hospital. And he said, every time anyone brought in roses, it smelled like stinking onions. Ooh. You know, so obviously, you know, and not smelling good, it smelled actually awful. And this continued with him for about six to nine months, and then, it, and then it finally got better. So the question is, what's actually going on with the viral infection? We know that, that the virus appears to affect uh, initially in the nose, the lining of the nose, and the olfactory receptors. It also, long COVID, has a big issue with fatigue and shortness of breath and brain fog. So using sophisticated analysis, they found out that it's widespread infiltration of the T cells. The T cells are part of the immune response in the inflammatory response in the nose that is causing this. So it's not the virus that's causing this. It's the inflammatory response that our body does to the virus that's actually causing this. Hmm. So if we could modulate the immune response, in other words, and decrease the immune response when we get COVID, we may actually begin to attack this problem with the loss of a sense of smell. But more importantly, this may be the cause of long COVID. It might be that long COVID is not the result of the virus. I mean, it is obviously the virus that's kicking it off, but it is the result of the immune system. And it may be that the immune system and modulating that may be the important thing to do. Now, in some ways, you may think this is a mild thing, loss of a sense of smell. But when we, when we eat things, we taste salty, sugar, sour, sweet with our tongue. Everything else actually comes through our nose. So if you lose your sense of smell, you lose the ability to tell whether or not food is rotten whether or not food is not good for you. Um, I had a patient of mine who lost her sense of smell because she fell when she was many, many years ago. She destroyed her olfactory receptors in the back of her head. And she said she had to be very careful of what she drank at parties because she could not taste alcohol. Mm. That vodka tasted sweet to her and it tasted the same as if you had sweet sugar water. Mm. And so she had to be extremely careful of what she drank. So I think this is good information. It sheds on it. We've got to figure out what's going on with long COVID. And it's our immune response that seems to be the problem. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. And now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hi. Hi. My name is Scott. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. How can we help? I have had a problem with my fingertips developing um, a very mysterious pain uh, upon touching. Feels like you have a splinter, but you don't have one. You know, I've looked under the microscope, and um, this started on my left pointer finger, and then it started to develop on the right one as well. Um, A longtime guitar player, and um, so I use both those fingers a lot, one on the right for picking and the other for Uh pressing. And uh, otherwise, I do a lot of typing and office work. And, and I also have developed some FCU tendonitis on the left. 
F- FCU years F- ago. FCU meaning what? Let's see, what is that tendon called? It's not like typical carpal tunnel, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the next tendon mm-hmm. system over, okay. and my doctor said there's nothing they can do for it except rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things. There, uh, You've got a whole bunch of things that I can think about that might be going on. So first of all, are you on any medications? No. Okay. You know, How old are you? I'm 61. 61. Trauma to your hands, previous trauma to your hands? Nothing obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, just maybe when I was younger, I mm-hmm. cut my finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like falling out of trees and things like that. No. Any big trauma. A frostbite. Any frostbite that occurred with your fingers? Years no. Ago? Okay, because frostbite can do things like that. Skin conditions. What kind of skin condition do you have? Do you have any eczema or anything else going right on with your skin? None at all. No. Uh-huh. How much alcohol do you drink? Oh, um, three times a week. Okay, but not every moderate. day. So you're not, you're not no. knocking down four to six beers a day. Okay, so not Correct. with alcohol. <laughs> okay, now when it comes to typing and stuff, do you, what, do you have, what kind of a mouse do you use on your computer? Um, very basic standard mouse. Standard you know, mouse. Right okay. Okay. Do you have a Do you have a, a pad in front of your computer for typing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it supports my wrist. That supports your wrist. Okay. So a couple of things that I, I would recommend doing. So first of all, I would look at, at using a different mouse because that may also help your tendonitis. You may also end up using a mouse with your other hand, your non-dominant hand. Some people can get used to that. I can't imagine getting used to it, but some people, because that, that can make a difference there. I think one of the things you want to look at is, is it from a skin point of view? And sometimes it's the stuff that's going on with the skin. So when you're outside, do you glove up all the time when you're in cold weather? Because they have cold weather in Oklahoma City, don't they? Yes, certainly do. <laughs> so do you glove up? Um, I certainly do, yes, when it's called for. I, I don't hesitate with that. I would, I, would, I would wear gloves. I would either double gloves or wear mittens. I would make sure that your hands did not get too cold. I think that's gotcha. extremely important. So I would double glove, put on mittens, do whatever you have to to keep your hands from being cold. That's number one. Number two, I'd look at trying an, uh, I would look at trying a prescription cream uh, that you can get from your doctor, Kenalog. That's the name brand. It's, it hasn't been Kenalog in years. It's called TMC, capital T, capital M, capital C as in Charlie, cream 0.1%. And I would use that on your hands uh, for about for a few weeks and see whether or not there's a little inflammation in the skin of your hands. This is stronger than over-the-counter hydrocortisone cream, significantly stronger. And I would look at that. And I would look at that and I also glove at nighttime when you go to sleep. I'd put on the TMC cream. I would go to the hardware store and get gardening gloves, put on the gardening gloves at night. You may take them off during the night, but this will help the cream absorb into your fingers because I think you've got inflammation of the skin in your fingers that's doing this. And it may be pre-callus formation because you're using your fingers all the time when you're typing. And then how about your keyboard? Is it a good keyboard? Is it a clicky keyboard or an easy-to-use keyboard because you're typing all the time? I bought a new one, and it's it's pretty easy um, mm-hmm. action. Okay. So I think it's keeping your fingers and hands warm all the time. I think it's using triamcinolone cream 0.1% on your skin to see if that's doing it. Because I think what you have is something like pre-callus formation. This is a peripheral neuropathy. It's the nerve in the fingers. And if it's, and if it's local, they tend to come back. They tend to work. They can take a few months to get better. But basically what you want to do is you want to make your you want to make your skin as good as you can, and you want to keep away trauma, which includes cold trauma. One last thing. Do you wash dishes at home? Yes. Well, not a lot. Uh I mean, some. Some, Well, everyone has to wash dishes, right? And do you use gloves (laughs) when you wash dishes? I do not. You should use gloves 100% of the time. Do the extra large size. Use gloves because detergent is bad on your fingers. And also use a soapless cleanser such as Dove on your hands. Do not use a detergent cleanser. And if you're using hand sanitizer, don't use it unless you absolutely have to use it because it will dry out your skin and that's part of your problem. Would that include like an alcohol basically? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It's going to dry out your skin. So what you want to do is you have to wash your hands, use Dove or something like Dove. It's going to be more gentle on your skin and get rid of the cleanser as much as you can. You know, we're at a time where we don't have to use it and we're using it often when we have to. And you don't want anything to dry out your skin. You want your skin to be moist and supple. 
Thank you so much for that advice. Could I get the name of that hand cream one more time? Oh, sure. The name of the hand cream is Triamcinolone Cream. Let me spell it for you. Triamcinolone Cream. It's abbreviated as a TMC cream, but it's Triamcinolone, T-R-I-A-M-C-I-N-A-L-O-N-E. And that's 0.1%. And for the the spelling, please, I may have misspelled it. So (laughs) I always call it TMC Cream. So thank you so much for your call, and thanks for sharing that with us. And that's over the counter. No, it is not. You got to get a prescription from your doc for it. It's not over the counter. You got to get it from your doc. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate the call at 800-462-7413. So he washes dishes and you wash dishes, Zorba? And you don't wash dishes? I open up the door. (laughs) I put the dishes in the dishwasher. And an hour or so to get let them dry, and then I take the dishes out and put them in the cupboard. Who the heck washes dishes anymore? You know what? You got me there, Tom. <laughs> 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba. Let's crack open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox and take a listener email. The following question came from Irene in Ontario, Canada. Hello, Dr. Zorba. I need some advice regarding cold sores. My daughter caught the virus from a stupid boyfriend in college. (laughs) She suffers with cold sore outbreaks often and takes the standard pills prescribed. 2,000 milligrams, I think, two times a day for Mm -hmm. two days. That's right. A valacyclovir. That's what she's probably taking. Right. She she does stress easily, Mm -hmm. which brings them on. Mm -hmm. I would appreciate any thoughts on this. And thanks. I love you. Oh, how nice is that? So her donor has a herpes sores in her mouth if she's taking valacyclovir. And you can also take, uh, in addition to taking it when you actually have the outbreak, you can actually take a a dose every single day to keep it from happening. And you can take it intermittently. And I don't remember exactly what the dose is for valacyclovir. It might be 500 milligrams a day or 500 milligrams every other day. Whenever I prescribe this for patients, I always look it up uh, in... And, uh, something called Medex to so look up the dose. But the answer is she can talk to her doctor and she can take a prophylactic dose to keep it from happening. And some people take this every day or some people say, look, I think I'm beginning to have it and they take it intermittently. But the answer is the virus lives in her nerve. It will live in the nerve forever. And she unfortunately is one of those people where the virus you know, the virus can actually sort of activate from a bunch of things, including being in the sun, trauma to it, hot food. There are many things that activate it. But I would look at a prophylactic dose to keep this from happening. Do you have a health question for the good doc? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. 1-800-462-7413 is our number. 800-462-7413. Now, let's hear a voicemail from a listener in Wisconsin. Our daughter lives in Minnesota and um, just experienced her first um, a couple seizures. And uh, uh, she's on some seizure medication right now. But my question is, um, is there anything that she can do from a diet standpoint in terms of like vitamins and minerals or what she puts in her body in terms of food that would help um, with her seizure disorder. Thank you. You know, I've never seen any good scientific research, uh, with some exceptions of certain metabolic disorders, uh, that show that foods will actually keep you from getting seizures. We know there's certain things that can kick off seizures, uh, but we don't know, as far as I know, that there's anything that can prevent the seizures from happening. Uh, The most important thing 
if you have seizures, especially new-onset seizures, is to have a good relationship with your neurologist so that you and the neurologist can find the right medication for you that will prevent seizures and won't have the side effects. And those are that's really the most important thing. And, of course, with seizures, once you have seizures, you can't drive for three months until you're seizure-free because you might have a seizure when you're driving a car, which is dangerous for you and dangerous for other people. Uh, but gets, uh, again, getting onto the food issue, I don't know of anything that actually would do that that I that I can think of. Eight hundred four six two seven four one three is our number. One eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Before we head out, Zorba, we get so many questions from our wonderful listeners. But we also get calls from listeners who just want to share a comment or a health tip. So, time again for the segment we call Caller Comments. This is a bunch of caller comments. People calling us with their health tips. Thanks. We appreciate it. Did Brad or Carl come up with that music? You know, you know, I mean, come on, they're a team. They're the duo. We call them the dynamic duo. They're <laughs> Batman and Robin or Robin and Batman, whichever whichever one. I'm not exactly sure which one wears which costume because we can't actually see into the booth. You know, they are <laughs> they are the men behind the curtain. So let's hear a voicemail from a Green Bay Packers fan right here in Wisconsin. This is for Zarbra. In the sports section of the State Journal this morning, one of the Packer players, one of their huge offensive linemen, did an interview, and he had an emergency appendectomy. He was thankful that he did it. He said it was so bad that it could have killed him, and he at first ignored it, and he ignored it, and then he went to the team doctor, and the next thing you know, he's having an emergency surgery. So he credits that with saving his life, and I just thought it was an interesting sports medical story because this guy thought, you know, I just thought I was beat up from this, from a game and practice, and that's what it was related to. But he said there was something telling me that I needed to get medical attention. So I hope he can use this. Bye. Well, he brings up a good point. Here it is. You're a football player. You have trauma. You have pain all the time. You have pain in your stomach and your arms and everything else. And so it's easy to ignore something else that's more serious. And frankly, that's where, I mean, you you think about football players. That's where having a good relationship with the team doctor makes a difference. So they say, hey, I wonder exactly what this is because an examination or a CAT scan would show what was going on. So he was lucky that he took action because he could have come really seriously ill if that appendix had burst. Do you have a helpful tip for the show? Just post it on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. We'll see you next week, Zorba. I hope, Tom. <laughs> I hope, too. If you missed anything during the show or you if just we're still want, alive. Or you just want to... We're stream, getting up there. You never know. Trees are falling in the woods. Or you just want to stream the show online anytime. Visit us on the web. At ZorbaPastor.org. Of course, you can always find us through Facebook. And don't forget, you can call us anytime. anytime. To leave us your question. Your good question. At... You're saying all the... 1-800-462-7413. That's very good. Oh, I got it. (laughs) Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.